Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. It says, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So one of the things we've seen here is we start with thanksgiving. Gratitude is a gateway to victory. Gratitude is a gateway to victory. When we look at this verse as well as a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, which also thoughts were thanksgiving to God before it says he causes us to triumph. If that's the case, then every day we should wake up and say, Father, thank you for the victory. Father, thank you for causing me to triumph. Before you even face anything, you should thank God for the victory. I'm not saying after you won, after everything is handled, before you even face it, you should thank God for the victory. Why? Because you know the character of your God. You know what his word says. It says he gives you the victory. That means it doesn't matter what I face today, whether it's expected or unexpected. Doesn't matter if I face something like it before. Whether it catches me off guard, I win. And because that is the truth of God's word, then we should start our day with thanks to God. So as you wake up in the morning, maybe even before you roll out of bed, before you even check Instagram, before you even have your coffee, Father, thank you. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for causing me to triumph. And so we see, we start with thanksgiving, but victory is a gift. Say victory is a gift. So you don't work for a gift. You just receive it. You don't work for a gift, you just receive it. So that means our concentration should be receiving the gift. Because that's how we win. Because we receive it. So what would happen if you try to work for a gift? That would frustrate you, right? Why would you work for something that's already yours? Could it be that you're frustrated in life because you're working for something that's already yours? That you're more focused on performing than receiving? God's the performer, you're the believer. Maybe you haven't gotten as far as you want to in life because you're trying to impress God and make God love you. And he already loves you. So maybe our focus shouldn't be on our performance, but on our faith. Because victory is a gift and how to receive gifts from God, by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. That's how we were saved. Whatever you're saved by, you live by. We came into the kingdom of God. We believe God's word in our heart. We said it with our mouth. We were saved by grace. It is the gift of God. Victory works similarly. You must believe in your heart and say with your mouth. Victory is a gift from God so you should receive it now one of the things about victory being a gift some people say well it's a gift you know I'm just going to wait for it to show up 
And some of us have gotten very used to things just being delivered and showing up at our doors. Whether it's Amazon, that's everywhere, Uber Eats, DoorDash, whatever. You're used to packages arriving, and that is sometimes how victory shows up. But most often, God delivers the victory to you on the battlefields of life. God most often delivers the victory to you on the battlefields of life. Not just you at home saying, well, victory is a gift. I'm not going to do anything. It's all on God. Whatever. Will be, will be. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. If God wants me to win, I'll win. No, that's not how it works. God has already desired for you to win. God already desired for you to experience the victory, but you still must show up and fight the good fight of faith. Because if you do not engage the enemy, he will not flee from you. Although you already have victory over Satan and all of his things that he does, if you do not resist him, he will not flee. The Bible doesn't say God will make him flee from you if you just sit down and just wait. You must actively resist the enemy if you want him to flee. You must resist what he's trying to do in your life if you want him to flee. You must resist what he's trying to do in your marriage if you want him to flee. You must resist what he's trying to do in your kids if you want him to flee. You must resist what he's trying to do in your body if you want him to flee. You have to actively resist. God gives you the victory on the battlefields of life, but you must engage the enemy. And you have to understand your enemy is not stronger than you. He is not greater than you. Satan is not even in your class. So what do you mean by that? Two different ways you can look at it. When we were created, we were created in the God class. Psalm 8 says... In the Hebrew, how have you made man a little lower than Elohim? What is man that you are mindful than him? Another translation said, you've made God just a little, you made man just a little lower than yourself, God. Why? God and Adam and Eve had this relationship. He made them to rule this planet. He made them the gods of this world. It's like, well, pastor, that's strong language. No. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls Satan, the lowercase g, God of this world. How did he become the lowercase g God of this world? He got that authority from Adam. So when Adam and Eve were created, they were created as gods of this world. But you have to make sure you don't listen to the wrong voice. Because the enemy came in and says, well, if you eat this fruit, you'll be as gods. But that's frustrating. They already were. See, Satan will try to convince you you're not who you already are to make you work to become who you think you're supposed to be. When your identity was already settled when you were born again. If you're born again, you'll never be more righteous than you are right now. Because once you accepted Jesus, your Lord and Savior, you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As soon as you're born again, you receive the same righteousness as Jesus. So maybe the issue for you is not what you're doing, but an identity problem. See, we live in a culture in an age when everybody's identifying as something. Whether it's right or wrong, everybody says, well, this is how I identify. This is how I identify. How about we just identify as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? How about we just believe what the Bible says? If the Bible says I'm righteous, I am. If the Bible says I'm anointed, I am. If the Bible says I'm victorious, I am. I decide, I agree. How do you identify? As the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So maybe the issue is how we see ourselves. Do you see yourself as God sees you? Or do you see yourself as that teacher said? That teacher who just had a bad day and didn't like you anyways and said you'll never be anything. 
Do you see yourself as a family member who had all these issues so they took it out on you and told you you wouldn't be enemy? Or do you take it through culture trying to make you a victim? I refuse to be a victim. I will not let people victimize me by my age, by my background, by my race, by my church. I refuse. Well, the Bible tells me that the new creature, the new creation, who I am in Christ Jesus, has the advantage. I am not disadvantaged in this life. I have the advantage. Why? I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. God is on my side. God's on the inside of me. I have the advantage. So you have to take that same mentality. Doesn't matter what you've been through, you have the advantage. If you are born again, you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The greater one himself, the Holy Spirit, lives on the inside of you and makes you greater than anything you'll face. So you have to know this. Before the problem shows up, you're already greater. Before the problem shows up, you already have the victory. So you shouldn't be surprised that things happen. Things happen in this life. But you must look at it face on as, you know what, I'll take you down. We talked about last week knowing your history with God. And you remember how God has brought you through in the past. The fact that you are alive today lets me know God has preserved you, God has protected you, God has delivered you, God has healed you. He has delivered you from danger seen and unseen. The fact that you made it through even last year is a testimony. And if God brought you through all of those things, what is the giant in front of you today? That's why today's message is called Goliath Must Fall. Say, Goliath must fall. Goliath is not greater than you. Go with me to 1 Samuel 17. So if you're following along with my notes, I'm just skipping ahead. Go to 1 Samuel 17. Goliath must fall. Goliath is not greater than you. Your enemy is not greater than you. The Bible tells us we must fight the good fight of faith. The emphasis on that scripture is on fight. So you have to know in this life, you're going to have to resist the enemy. In this life, you're going to have to fight. In this life, you're going to have to engage the enemy. Ignoring the enemy is not engaging him. A lot of people ignore problems and call it faith. No, you're just ignoring it and it's growing. You have to address it according to God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Most of us are familiar with this story. How many are familiar with the story of David and Goliath? So uh, we already know Goliath is going to fall, right? It's not a spoiler alert. 1 Samuel 17. Goliath, we know he's a giant, but I like how the New Living Translation describes him. It says, then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. This dude is huge. Huge. You know, I've had a chance to go to some NBA games and meet some players up close. The shortest one on the court, the shortest one, is my height. And you know, when you watch them on TV, they say, oh, they look so short compared to the others. They 6'3", 6'3", 4", 6'5". Those are the short guys. But then you see people like Shaq and LeBron, like, dude. You know, seen 
LeBron dunk from halfway across the court. That dude is huge. There's no way I'm standing in front of him to block him. No. I'm not in the NBA. I don't get paid millions to do that. No, I ain't trying to get in the way with it. That's a huge dude. How many know that's huge? Goliath is over nine feet tall. Imagine that. His armor was 125 pounds. Do you know how strong you have to be to walk out on the battlefield and fight agile with that weight on you? This is a big old dude. And he comes out to challenge the armies of Israel. You see in 1 Samuel 17, he says, you know what? You send me a champion, I'll fight him. He'll fight me. Whoever wins, the other side wins. So if I win, y'all serve me. But if your champion wins, we serve you. And when Goliath did that, he says, I defy the armies of Israel this day. I challenge you. And when he did that, you know what Israel did? What a lot of us would have done. Nope, not today. It said they would flee every time he showed up. Now, in the natural, the person who should have taken him on was King Saul. Because the scripture says King Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. But he's like, no, nah, I don't want anything to do with that nine-foot-tall giant. So the king said, you know what? I'll give a reward for whoever takes down the giant. And so this goes on for 40 days. 40 days. Goliath comes out in the morning and the evening and makes the same taunt. And for 40 days, the entire armed forces of Israel run away scared. They're intimidated by the giant that's before them. But on this 40th day, a teenager is working for his father's Uber Eats. He's a shepherd boy. His dad says, I want you to go. He's too young to be in the army. But his dad says, I want you to go and check on your brothers. Bring them this food and bring food to their captain and see how they're doing. Bring a report back to me. So he's an Uber Eats driver. He's a messenger. He's just doing an errand for his dad. Has any of you have kids and made your, have some of your kids on an errand before? So imagine you sent your kids on an errand and they came back and said, yeah, while I was gone, I took down a Goliath. You wouldn't expect that report came back. It's like, hey, what took you so long? Well, I'm sorry, the line wasn't long, but you know, I had to take down a giant. A who? What? This is what it is. As, as shocked as you would be if your teenager came back and told you a story like that, imagine what David's father's thinking afterwards. He did what? I knew it took him a long time to come back, but he did what? This wasn't a special day. This was a normal day. That lets me know sometimes on normal days you take down giants. And it's not always the days you wake up and you think, oh, something special. I, I sense something special is going to happen. Well, sometimes you do, and sometimes it's just a normal day. You may even feel off that day. I'm like, man, my coffee didn't even work this morning. What's going on? Oh, what's going on? And you run into unprecedented victory. So David's on the battlefield, and Goliath comes out with his taunt. And all of Israel runs away. And David's like, wait, wait, what's going on here? And one of the soldiers near David says, hey, did you hear what this guy said? Yeah, I heard. The king says, whoever takes down this guy, he gets to marry the princess. He becomes rich. And then his father's house, his whole family is tax-free in Israel. And David's like, huh, get to marry the princess. Think about this. He's a teenage boy. I'm, Matt, come on. We all know how teenage boys are, right? Think about this. He shows up on the battlefield and says, if I win, I get to marry the princess. Huh. I get to become rich. Huh. And I don't got to pay taxes. <laughs> David is sold. Yes. Let's do this. Because then he responds, as we see 
He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? And so as he's making that statement, as we shared last week, uncircumcised Philistine is not some ancient, you know, insult. What, what was David saying? Because circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. He's saying, who is this giant that doesn't have a covenant? This dude I'm about to face doesn't have a covenant, but I do. So that means David knew his covenant. And when we study out, one of the things that was so interesting to me that when you study out the life of Saul, Saul was born during the time of Samson. So what you see happen in Samson's life happened in Saul's lifetime. And David takes over Saul a couple decades after Saul begins his reign. So what happened in Samson's life is recent history for David. It's historical fact, but it's recent historical fact for David. And we read out all the other epic battles in the book of Judges. That's recent history over the last hundred or so years. But then he knows the book of Joshua, which is even before that. And he knows the victory that happened in there. And what God promised Joshua and those who came after him. And before Joshua, he knew of Moses a few hundred years before David's time. He knew those stories. And when he looked through Genesis, as we did, and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua and Judges, you see God's promise to give them victory. It was his covenant with them. So David knew in his covenant he was promised victory. And because he knew his covenant, he said, I can take on this giant. Which lets me know anybody on that battlefield could have taken down Goliath. Because everybody on that battlefield had the same covenant. They were all Israelites. They all had the covenant. They were all descendants of Abraham. Anybody from the weakest to the strongest could have taken down Goliath. But lets me know none of them else really believed in their covenant. But this teenager shows up and says, wait, I have a covenant. I can take down Goliath. Goliath must fall. And as he's talking this, his brother shows up. The older brother, who could have taken down Goliath. And it says in verse 28, his oldest brother, we'll read it from the New Living Translation, but when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry and says, what are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Whoa. David is stirred up about his covenant. He's about to make a step of faith, and what, what comes next? Intimidation. Right when he's about to take a step of faith, his brother says, what are you even doing here? Then he insults his profession. Who did you leave those few sheep with? Bro, you don't have to add few in there. So he's implying two things. What you do is not that important because you only got a few sheep. And number two, you are dere you're derelict in your duties. Who's taking care of the sheep? Do you just leave them on the countryside because you want to see the battle? But newsflash, there is no battle. There's no fighting. I don't know what Eliab's talking about, but there is no battle. There is no fighting. 
And so he's looking down on David. Look what happened in verse 30, verse 29. And David says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him to another. Pause that. He turned from him to another. David could have taken that intimidation to heart. He could have taken that insult to heart. He could have began questioning himself and his identity because of the words and the opinions of others. But he turned from him to someone else. You're going to have to learn in this life how to turn from the opinions of others so you can focus on the covenant. Turn from what everybody else has to say on social media and in the media and in your family to what God has to say. So point I want you to know today, refuse to be intimidated by your enemy or by the opinions of others. Refuse to be intimidated by your enemy or by the opinions of others. Because we saw Eliab's opinion. As we looked at last week, David's going to stand before Saul, and Saul's opinion may come from a good place, wanting to protect David. He was saying, David, dude, you're just a teenager. This dude's been killing people since he was a teenager. It came from a good place, but Saul was like, you can't do it, man. And David replied, you know, one day, remember talking about know your history with God, a lion came after my sheep and took one, and I followed after the lion, and I struck it, took the sheep from his mouth, and I killed the lion with my bare hands. One day, the bear did the same thing. What is he doing? Recounting his history with God. And it says, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver this giant into my hands. So he responded to the opinion of Saul, even though it came from a good place, with his history with God. There are going to be a lot of people saying, well, you can't do this because of your age, your background, your record, and this and that and this and that. And they may be just trying to protect you, prepare you for life and saying, I don't want you to get your hopes up. But as Christians, we're supposed to get our hopes up as high as we're supposed to. Because faith and hope work together. But how do you reply? I understand that. But God did this for me in my past. And God did this for me in my past. And then God did this for me. And then God did this for me. He's going to do it again. See, knowing your covenant and your history with God calls you to remember that God is faithful. He is the faithful God. He is the covenant-keeping God. You must choose to consider your covenant more than your circumstance. Go to Romans chapter 4 with me real quick. Romans chapter 4. You must consider your covenant instead of considering your circumstance. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. This is talking about Abraham. Notice what it says. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith, so this is about to tell us what's weak in faith. 
he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief now God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child except there's a little thing because before when they were younger they couldn't have kids and now they're just a tad bit older like 190 come on if that happened today it'd be on every single news channel every single news channel could you imagine some of you your grandparents calling you say hey we got great news Man, that would go on TikTok viral so fast. And so God is telling them, you're going to have a baby. And so weak faith would have been Abraham considering his body. Now, the word consider doesn't mean think about. It means to fill your mind with. If all Abraham thought about was how it was impossible because of his current circumstance, it would have been weak faith. Which lets us know Abraham filled his mind with something else. Now, he knew what his body was like because he lives in his body. He's very aware of what his body is doing. But he didn't fill his mind with what his body was doing. He didn't fill his mind about Sarah's body. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. What is strong in faith? Giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. What was strong faith? Not considering his body, but considering his covenant. Filling his mind with the covenant of God. Praising God every single day. Go to bed, get up, praise God. Go to bed, get up, praise God. Go to bed, get up, Father, I thank you that you gave me the victory. Go to bed, get up, Father, I thank you always calls me the triumph. Go to bed, get up, I thank you that your covenant is true. Go to bed, get up, and thank God for the promise of God. That's strong faith. Because that means if you do that every day, that means on the days when you feel like a spiritual champion, you're praising God. And on the days when you feel like, oh, God, whew, you're still praising God anyways. It's not based on how you feel. See, faith is not based on your feelings. Because if you had to feel faith, a lot of us would be defeated for the, our entire lives. Faith is not a feeling. It's trust and confidence and reliance upon God. giving God glory and being fully persuaded that what he promised, he's going to do it. So although there's a million different reasons why it shouldn't happen, God, had God has tens of millions of reasons why what you need to happen can happen. Ten million reasons why it can't, a hundred million reasons God, ways God can do it. You might look at your problem today and say, you can only think of three ways for God to get you out of it. And God's like, I got a hundred million ways. He doesn't need them all. He just needs one. So don't fill your mind with the impossibility of your situation. Fill your mind with all things are possible to them that believe. With God, all things are possible. Fill your mind with that. That's the pathway to strong faith instead of having weak faith. Go back with me to 1 Samuel 17. So refuse to be intimidated by your enemy and by the opinions of others. Eliab talked down to David and questioned his heart. Saul looked down on David's age and supposed lack of experience. And one of the things you'll see when David faces Goliath, that Goliath looks down on him because of his age and outward appearance. 
because it says, you know, King James is ruddy and beautiful countenance. Goliath looks at David and says, dude, you're a pretty boy. You ain't a warrior. You're this pretty boy teenager. How are you going to kill me? He judged him by his outward appearance and his age. Saul looked down on his supposed lack of experience. Eliab looked down on him as well. You can't let your life be determined by the opinions of others. Everybody has an opinion. My mentor likes to say it this way. Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple of them. And I like to add, not everybody has good hygiene. So why do you let your life be directed by the opinions of others? They don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. Don't follow their opinions. Follow the word of God. Because if you follow the opinions, because see, we have this bad habit in this culture, not just the opinions of family and people we're around, but the opinions of people on social media will never meet. The opinions of politicians who don't know your name. They can post a video on social media, but they don't know you. And you do whatever they say and believe whatever they say. But that's a poor savior. Because when you need help, they ain't going to show up. They can't. They're human. They're limited. Some of them may want to, but they can't. The only one who can show up every time, deliver you every time, preserve you every time, heal you every time, give you the victory every time is Jesus. So maybe, just maybe, just maybe, maybe it's just a good idea. It might be a novel idea. We care about his opinion, not everybody else's. That instead of going to everybody else, hey, what do you think about this? Sir, what do you think about this? Oh, he doesn't talk to me. Yes, he does. He talks to you all the time. On the inside of your heart. You just have to pause and listen. And know that he wants to talk with you. Stop telling yourself he doesn't want to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. He's talkative. He likes talking to his kids. So I did something stupid. We've all done something stupid. Anybody here never do something stupid? Nope, 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 all of us. And he still likes to talk to us everywhere. See, even the baby said amen. <laughs> so stop telling yourself God doesn't want to do anything with you because of your history. When you look at the Bible, all these people have some interesting histories. The only one who doesn't is Jesus. There's some things you learn what not to do because of what some of these Bible characters did. Abraham had great faith, but he also had some other issues. Isaac had a great faith, but he had some issues. Jacob had faith and a lot of issues. But if God can use them, he can use you. And so we talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm their God, even though they were a hot mess sometimes. He's still your God. It says in Hebrews, he's not ashamed, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brethren. What does it mean? Jesus is not called to, ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. Jesus, the perfect one, the Messiah, the Holy One, is not ashamed to call you his little brother or his little sister. He stands before God and says, yeah, that's my little brother. Yeah, that's my little sister. He's not ashamed of you. So if he's not ashamed of you, why are you ashamed of you? If he's not ashamed of you, why are you ashamed of you? Pastor, you don't understand all the stuff I've done. Yeah get that. But the blood washed away your past.
Stop identifying by your past. Stop identifying by your mistakes. Identify by what the Bible says about you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Identify that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Your sins do not exist anymore. See, David in the Psalms was talking about, wow, it's going to be amazing for the person God chooses not to hold their sins against them and covers their sins. As far as David could go in his mind was God covering somebody's sins. But Jesus did you one better. He washed away your sins. So your sins do not exist anymore. So even if you make the same mistake again, say, God, I've done this a thousand times, like, what are you talking about? We're just doing this one time. And it tells you in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If it cleanses from all unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. See, when you get to heaven, believer, and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, because we all will, all believers will stand in the judgment seat of Christ. You're not standing at the great white throne judgment. That ain't for you. If you're in that line, that's not a good sign. There's a different line for us, the judgment seat of Christ. And at that seat, you're going to say, oh, God's going to go through all my history, all the bad things I've done. Man, when he gets to year 20 days, 214, it's going to be a long time. He doesn't do that. Because if the blood washed away your sins, why would he list your sins in heaven? If the blood washed away all your sins, why would God keep a book of your sins in heaven for when you get there to walk you through all your sins? That doesn't line up to the truth of the scripture. Your sins have been washed away. They're not kept in a book. So, well, what is the judgment seat of Christ for? Your reward. That's reward time. It says you're rewarded or judged on how you lived in your body. So if you yielded to God and did what he wanted to do, you have a good reward. You get crowns. There's different things you get in heaven. There's five different crowns believers can receive in heaven. There's many different rewards and assignments you receive in heaven because you also live in heaven. You don't just sit on cloud and have a harp. People are living up there. You know, it's on my heart this week, and I'm studying now, and I'm about to do a series on heaven in the future. Because heaven's a real place. Real. It's real. It's not that little cloud on the harp and the fat, naked babies flying places. That's not heaven. Heaven is a real, wonderful place. And every believer is going there. And so when you get there and stand before God, you're receiving rewards. Say, well, what if I didn't do anything right? I just got saved right before I die. Well, you get in. Well, that's better than the other option. <laughs> you get well, you made it. Whew, it's close, but you made it. It's no reward, but you're in. But see, I'm not living for a well, I'm living for a well done. Because when I stand before him, I'm going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So my focus is no longer making it. It's settled. Because what I, Jesus did and I believed in him. That's settled. Come on, we have to be Christians who get beyond what's already settled. Okay, it's settled. Now I'm working on my reward. See, there are people who work for an earthly retirement. And that's good. You should lay up stuff for your retirement. But what about what you laid up for in heaven? Have you laid up anything for there? 
for a reward when you get there. Stop thinking about your past and your sins. That's done. That's gone. It's nailed to the cross, washed away. Work on your future. God is not judging you by your past. So, no, God left me because I did this. No, 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 no. Sweetheart, you have to understand this. God turned his back on Jesus so he would never have to turn his back on you. So what do you mean? On the cross, Jesus cried out, standing on Psalm 22, my God, my God, Eli, Eli, Sabathani, why have you forsaken me? The only time in the eternal existence of the Son of God that he was separated from the Father. Why? So God would never have to turn his back on you. Whatever Jesus bore on the cross, he bore it so we didn't have to carry it. He carried our sins so we don't have to have it. He bore our sickness and disease so we don't have to have it. He bore our unrighteousness so we can be righteous. He bore separation from God so we'll never have to be separated for all of eternity. And his blood did such a good job. It cleans you up so well that God says, I'm going to move in on the inside of them. Talk about a cleaning company. That the executive of executives, the holy of holies, who you couldn't go into the holiest of holies in the Old Testament. Only one person could a year. And if you weren't right and you walked in there, you dropped. Those high priests would wear a string with bells on them. So if the bells kept moving, you know they were alive. If the bells stopped moving, you know just go ahead and pull them out. Time for a new high priest. He's holy. Sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. But the blood did such a good job on you that the one who dwelled between the cherubims and the ark, the one who was in the holy of holies in Solomon's temple, looked at you and says, I want to move in there. That's how good of a job the blood did in you. So stop telling me about your past. Why don't you tell me what the blood did? Stop identifying by your mistakes. Why don't you identify by what the blood did? What can wash our way of sins? Nothing but the blood. So we make much of the blood because the blood has made much of us. So stop going to God about your past. Go to God. It says in Hebrews that he made a way for us by his blood. You have a highway to God because of the blood of Jesus. That means you run to him at any time you want. You might say, well, I just messed up. That's the best time to run to him. Best time. Now, oh, let God calm down. No, he wants to see you now. Run to him. Whether you feel he's close or not, turn to him. That's what the blood has done in you and made available to you. He's given you this relationship. A father and beloved child. See, the only person who would dare ask a king for a cup of water in the middle of the night is the king's child. The only one who would dare go wake a king up from his sleep because they're thirsty is the king's three-year-old child. You are the child of God. Start thinking like that. I, you know, how do you identify as a child of God? He loves me. He likes to hang out with me. He likes to show up where I go. He just... He, he just really loves me. 
Yeah, I may walk in, you know, the atmosphere may change, not because of me, but he likes hanging out with me. Yeah, things will get better in your life because he shows up with me. He, he doesn't like to leave me alone. Why did you start talking like that? Instead of always identifying with the issues and the problems of your life. We have to see ourselves differently if we want to experience the victory God has for us. See, back in 1 Samuel 17, see, David goes by the stream, the stream and picks up five smooth stones. Not because he thought he had a bad shot, but scholars believe Goliath had four brothers who were also giants. And David said, we can make this a family affair today. Talk about confidence in his covenant. And so David's, Goliath sees David and begins to look down on him and says, come on, I'm going to kill you and feed your body to the birds. And David begins to talk back. See, number four, never run at your giant with your mouth closed. Never run at your giant with your mouth closed. Because David said in verse 45, then said David to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So let's break this down for a little bit. The word name means the authority, the character, and the reputation. The word name means the authority, the character, and reputation. He says, I'm coming at you in the authority of the Lord of hosts, and the character of the Lord of hosts, with the reputation of the Lord of hosts. Well, if he's coming out the name, authority, character, reputation of the Lord of hosts, we should probably understand what Lord of hosts means, right? Lord of hosts in Hebrew is Jehovah Sabaoth, which is translated as the God of armies, the God of angel armies, the God who can marshal all of creation to become an army for himself. That name means the God of armies, the God of angel armies, the God who can marshal all of creation to become an army for himself. See, Lord, the Lord of hosts and other related names, like Lord God of hosts and God of hosts, occur over 270 times in the Old Testament. Over 270 times, which makes it the most frequent compound title for the God in the Old Testament. It is the most frequent compound title for God in the Old Testament. The God of angel armies the God of armies, the God who's able to marshal all of creation to become an army for himself. Most frequent compound title for God in the Old Testament. And so Dave said, I'm coming to you with his reputation. And when he says the Lord God of hosts, the first time you see this name written in scripture is in 1 Samuel. The first time you see it mentioned, Lord of hosts is in 1 Samuel. So David knew his reputation. What was the reputation? He saw what God did through Saul. He saw what he did through Samuel. He heard of what he did through Samson. He heard of what he did through Barak and Ehud and Deborah. He heard of what he did through the other judges. He heard about what he did through Joshua. He heard about what he did through Moses. He says, I come to you in his reputation. And when I think of his reputation versus you, big boy, you going down. When you look at God's reputation and you look at your problem, what do you think more of? The reputation of God or the reputation of your problem? Is God bigger than your problem? 
or have you made a problem of God? Is God bigger than your problem or have you made your problem your God? You know, there's a term in scripture, we are to magnify God. What do you do when you magnify? You make something bigger or bigger to you. You take a magnifying glass and look something. It didn't change the size, just make sure you can see it better. We should spend time magnifying God, praising God, going over who he is to us. What is that doing? That's making him bigger in our mind, in our understanding. And we say, you're Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and provides for me. You're the one who sees too. You're Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals me and takes sickness away from the midst of me. You're the God of all grace who causes all grace to come to me and abound toward me so I have all sufficient in all things and abound to every good work. You're Jehovah Shalom, the God who sends peace, my God of my restoration. You're my sanctifier. You're my healer. You're my shepherd. Therefore, I shout out like, what are you doing? You're magnifying God. You're magnifying God. And you're remembering who he is to you. That when you go through the names of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it reminds you of the character of God and what God wants to do in your life. Have you made your problem bigger than your God? Have you made a God out of your problem? Because I know what you're impressed by by what you talk about. Because if you're always talking about your problem, you're more impressed by your problem. But if you're always talking about the faithfulness of God, you're impressed by your God. So what's filling your mouth every day? What's filling your social media feed every day? What are you more impressed by? So they said, I come at you in the name, the authority, the reputation of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. I will smite you and take your head off. And I'll give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines, all your buddies with you, to feed the birds today. And the wild beasts of the earth, they look kind of hungry. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will, look at this phrase, what does it say? He will what? He will what? Give you into our hands. Victory is a gift. But you still must fight the good fight of faith. Although victory is a gift, David still knew he had to believe in his covenant. He had to put the sling in the stone. And he had to engage Goliath. But he said, God will give you into our hands. In life, you're still going to have to fight the good fight of faith. You're still going to have to engage with the enemy. But you have to expect that no matter what, God's going to give you the victory. That's what David expected. That's what David knew. He says, victory is a gift, but I'm going to take you on. And we know the story that David slung the stone accelerated the air, sunk in the giant's head, and he fell down face flat. And you know, everybody in the valley went, <gasps> everybody froze. Nobody's moving. David doesn't have another weapon, so he runs up to the giant, takes his own sword, and cuts off the giant's head, and lifts his head up. Israel finally found their courage. They yelled, ah! And they started running after the Philistines. 
and chased them from town to town to town. And God gave the people of God a great victory because one teenager believed in their covenant, knew their history with God, and dared to engage the giant, believing that God would give him the victory. So what victory is waiting for you if you would dare to engage your problem and think more of your God than your problem? But as I said, never run at your giant with your mouth closed. David was activating his covenant by the words of his mouth. David activated his covenant by the words of his mouth. We're used to voice-activated things, whether it's Siri, Alexa, or whoever. We're used to talking to stuff now. Come on, we've been used to talking to stuff that just don't respond. How many of you ever talked to a stoplight before? It can't hear you, but you talk to it anyways. How many of you talk to other cars driving next to you? They can't hear you. But you talk to them anyways. So you are, you're used to talking to everything. How about we just say the word? How about we just talk the word? How about we just talk to our giants? We're used to running our mouths and everything else. How about we address life with the word of God? Because Proverbs 18.21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So if you don't like what you're seeing, change what you're saying. If you do not like what you're seeing, change what you're saying. Because we just say stuff like, oh, that just tickled me to death. Why? Why do we ever just say stuff like that? You want to, you know, because what happened if everything you said come to pass? You just fall out laughing and die. What? Oh, that just killed me. No, it didn't. You really want to speak death in a time of all the stuff going on? You know, a mask can only protect you from a lot. Can't protect you from your own words, though. It'd be nice if it could, but it can't. The mask can only protect you from certain things. It can't protect you from your own words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. They that love it will eat the fruit of it, says in Proverbs 8 and 21. So what are you saying? What are you talking? What are you saying on a regular basis? That's determining your life. See, remember, the world was created by words, right? God spoke, and it was. The world was created by words, and it is governed by words. If you don't like what you see, change what you say. Go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Let me speed up and bring this to a close. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Now, God told Joshua that you're going to lead my people forward, and you're going to cause them to inherit the land. He gave Joshua a mission. He says, you're going to be able to do what Moses couldn't. But as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. So God has given Joshua's instructions from chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 9. But notice this key instruction he gives in verse 8. We'll get more detailed on this in the 10-day devotional. But it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe or guard to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. 
This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, which means what? You should be talking about it. Stop, don't stop talking the word. How many of you can see that? This book needs to be in your mouth. The only word Joshua had was Genesis through Deuteronomy. And God is telling Joshua that if you keep that in your mouth, that's enough for you to win. Because for Joshua, the promises he needed for the promised land were in those books. He said, keep them in your mouth. And what happens if you keep them in your mouth? You shall meditate there in day and night. That word meditate means to think on. It means to imagine. It also means to say. It means to mutter. It means to roar. So the word of God was spoken so that it could be written. And it was written so that it could be spoken. The word of God was spoken so that it could be written. And it was written so that it could be spoken. God fully expected Joshua to read the word out loud and speak the word out loud. He said, you think on, you imagine, you mutter, you say it, you roar it. That you may observe guard to do. So if you take this approach to the word of God, you're going to guard to do what it says. To make sure you do what is right and not what is wrong. And then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. So if you want to, how many want your way to be prosperous? How many of you want to have good success? Then you need to keep the word of God in your mouth. You need to meditate on it every day. You need to speak it every single day. You need to be in the word every single day. And then even if there's some things in front of you that aren't prosperous or successful, you'll make it that way. Because you're in the word, you're doing the word, and you're speaking the word. So there are some things you should read every single day. You know, I encourage you to read aloud at least one chapter a day. But there's also some other scriptures. You should have faith confessions, things that you speak based on the word of God every single day. You should go over healing scriptures every day. Scriptures on provision and wisdom every day. Scriptures concerning whatever you're facing, the general promises of God. Go over them every day. Say them out loud every day. What are you doing? Activating this principle of Joshua. You're framing your life by the words of your mouth. You're deciding to grab onto life instead of death with the words of your mouth. These are just natural, normal things you should do every single day. This is how you frame your world with the words of your mouth, by going through the word of God and speaking the promises of God. This is a general thing we should all do. No, because it tells us in Psalm 103 verse 20 that the angels hearken to the voice of God's word. Now, it could have said just the, you know, God's voice. We know angels listen to God's voice, right? We get that. But it said the voice of his word. So if I put his word in my mouth, angels will listen to me. Because it's not really me, it's the word of God. So if I want angelic assistance in my life, I need to speak the word. Now, God doesn't promise you'll see your angels. He does not give you that promise. He does promise you'll have angelic assistance. And the way you activate your angelic assistance is by speaking the word of God. Have you put your angels in a position where they can't help you? Because you won't speak the word. You speak everything but the word. You speak everything you see on social media, everything you see on TV, everything you see on Netflix, everything your family says about you. you just, all, that's all you talk about. And your angel's like, well, I would love to help you, but you're not giving me anything to work with. Or are you speaking the word of God? so that your angels have something to work with. All of you have at least one angel assigned to you. All of you, at least one. The Bible tells you that, at least one. 
at least. But have you given them anything to work with? Go to Mark chapter 11. We'll close here. Mark chapter 11. We'll get into this more detail in the 10-day devotional. That's why I encourage you to go through it. You know, starting February 22nd, we'll go through the devotional together each weekday. But the devotional starting tomorrow will be free on Amazon so you can download it. And then we'll start on February 22nd going through the devotional and watching Faith and Morning together. But we understand here that Jesus passes by this fig tree about three different times, at least in chapter 11. And this time he's going by it by the third time or the fourth time. He says, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever. Nine words. Now, come on, if we were walking together and he saw me start talking to trees, you're like, what is wrong with you? Some of you would think it. Minister Dathan probably would say it. He's known me long enough now. He'd probably ask me, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Come on. You think the disciples were doing the same thing? They were all thinking, what, why is Jesus talking to a tree? Come on, you would think the same thing. Now, you know, you grow up in faith. You get used to kind of some of those things. I still remember the time I saw Bishop talking to trees. Have I ever told you the story when I saw Bishop talking to trees? I think you heard it, Mr. Dave. I was walking to the parking lot one day in Southfield. And I was going, I think I was interning there at the time, and I was going from their gymnasium to the main building. And I heard, you know, Bishop's voice booming. And I'm like, oh, who's listening to a message from Bishop? You know, who in the parking lot is blasting it? And so I was like, there's no cars around. So I walk a little closer, and I see Bishop with his Bible on the edge of the parking lot speaking to the trees. But I knew the background of the situation because there was a lot of legal things and city things why they could not take down those trees to build a parking lot so more people can come to church. They were telling him no. And he was having a hard time getting room enough for people to come to church. He needed more room. So he went out there, and I think you guys remember that back when we were still trying to expand the parking lot. He started talking to the trees. And you know what? He got his parking lot. See, if faith won't move your mouth, it won't move your giant. If your faith won't move your mouth, it will not take down your giant. And so the next day, when they passed by, verse 20, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remember, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. And Jesus answered, said unto him, Have faith in God, which lets me know the words of my mouth should show my faith in God. Because all Jesus did was speak to it. And Peter said, whoa, 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 what you said came to pass. Have faith in God. Your faith in God should be displayed by the words of your mouth. Notice what it says next. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Jesus is pointing to a literal mountain. He says, believe once and say or saith three different times. So maybe the issue is not with faith in your heart, but the words of your mouth. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this. 
nine words, ten if you include the end. Be thou removed and cast into the sea. This is a specific word from God. Right? Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say, I only do what I see you do. Why did Jesus talk to the fig tree? Because he was in a bad mood? No. He spoke to it because God told him to, those nine words. This lets me know that as you spend time with God and spend time in the word of God, God will give you specific things to say to your situation. That as you meditate on the general word of God and you speak the promises of God from the word and you spend time in prayer and worship, there'll come up in your heart certain things to say to your problem. More than likely, it's not going to be a paragraph or an essay. It's going to be something simple like, no man eat fruit of you hereafter forever or be thou removed, be thou cast into sea. Something simple that you can hold on to and speak. So we go from the general confession, which we ought to do every day, to something specific for your life due to the mountain that you're facing. Now one of the things, if Jesus said you can cast the whole mountain to the sea, you might as well believe him. But when I studied it a little bit more out, it was talking about how King Herod would literally move a mountain or pieces of mountain if he wanted to build his palace somewhere. And so in the back of their minds, they've seen mountains moved because a king wants a new home. And so Jesus is telling them, you can get the effects of the king by the words of your mouth. How do kings rule? By decree. He said, if you speak, then you'll be able to take this mountain and take into the sea. And what happens if you take the mountain and empty into the sea? You can't see the mountain anymore. There's no evidence of the mountain. So you'll get to a place and people look at you and say, oh, you've never had any problems in your life. You've had just an easy life. And you should just rejoice because they can't see the mountain range that was in your past. It's all ended up in the sea. So don't be offended. They look at you, oh, you've never had any problems in your life. Well, praise God for the grace of God. Because if you can see the mountain range, you had to know, but that mountain range is in the sea. But how do you get through that process? Through the words of your mouth. You must speak what you believe. The spirit of faith tells us 2 Corinthians 4.13. We believe, therefore we speak. If your faith won't move your mouth, it won't move your mountain, and it won't take down your giant. If your faith will not move your mouth, it will not move your mountain, it will not take down your giant. So we need to make sure we're speaking what God wants us to speak. That you need to take time this week, and then when we do the 10-day devotional over the following two weeks, that you take time to go over the scriptures, the general promises of God. Spend time in prayer, especially praying in the Spirit, and then listen in your heart for things God wants you to say. Some of you may be having issues with your children, and say, well, I've tried everything. Well, why don't you ask God, what should I say about it? And whatever he tells you to say, that's what you say every day and thank God for. We need to go back and look at these are basic things. What are we saying? Are we agreeing with the world? The report of the world? Because, you know, it would seem offensive if you said anything of faith in a time of fear. Like, how dare you believe God can heal you and protect you and provide for you? Don't you know what's going on in the world? Yes. You won't let us not know. We're all aware. But do you know what? I believe we can make it through this time and win and come out of this time better than we went in. So that means I need to watch what I say. If I really believe where I'm going.
faith in God has to be displayed by the words of your mouth. You need to speak the word of God. Your words should display your trust in God. And the only way you know what to say is because you get in the word every single day. Every single day. You read at least one chapter aloud every single day. It's one of the reasons why we have the reading plan so that you can read along with us. Putting the word in your mouth. The word will renew your mind and as you speak it out loud, it will frame your life. Words are important. Never run at your giant with your mouth closed. And loose lips sink ships. So are there some things sinking in your life because of your mouth? And how many of you ever noticed you can't take what you said back? Like, oh, I can't catch that. So that means we need to be disciplined with the words of our mouth. That we don't identify by our problems. We identify by the promise. Now, we're not ignoring the problems. I mean, ignoring the problem. The problem's there. The problem's real. The problem has to be addressed. Yep, the problem's there. But you know what? I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Yep, the problem's there, but God has promised me deliverance. Yep, the problem is there, but God has promised healing. We're not ignoring the problem. We're taking the problem head on. We're those who call things that be not as though they were. Not call things that are as there are not. Let's say you broke your arm. My arm's not broke yet. It is. Go put a cast on that bad boy. What do you do? Your arm's in the cast. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. But your arm's broke, and I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Well, don't you know what the doctor said? Yep, and I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Go to Hebrews 11. One more scripture, and we're done. Because you know what moves you to act this way and talk this way? Evidence. Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What you want to see in your life, you may not be able to see it right now. And the only evidence you have is the word of God. And to quote Dr. Price, do you have enough evidence? Sometimes all you have is the word of God. And in those times, that has to be enough. That you believe it enough to choose it over the opinions of others and put God's word in your mouth. Praise God. Stand to your feet. Glory to God. Glory to God. Say, I am more than a conqueror through him that loves me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I am anointed. I am empowered. I am blessed by God. I have a covenant and I believe my covenant. I believe in the word of God. I believe that the power of God it's inside me now. 
I believe what my God says. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Goliath must fall. I refuse to be intimidated. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to identify by my past. I identify as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I identify as the healed by the stripes of Jesus. I identify as the wise because God gives me wisdom. I identify as the strong because God gives me grace. I identify as victorious because God gives me the victory. I'm on the winning side. I refuse to lose. You have to talk like that every day. Say things like that every day. Start your day with that. Some people call it affirmations. It's a faith confession based on the word of God. And as you do that consistently, you change your mindset and you change your world. So don't say, oh, pastor, I had a bad day, so I can't do it. No, you do it every day. No matter what. You stick with these principles of faith. Because by our faith, the scriptures say, we overcome this world's system. The way you overcome what you're facing is by faith in God. And faith in God is displayed by the words of your mouth and the actions that you take. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our Faith Experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.